Hello and welcome to episode 2 of Dude and the Monkey. I know it's technically episode 3, but our first was just an instruction and, and it was technically episode 0, so we are calling this episode 2. I'm joined as ever by my host, Mr. Ian Loring. Say hello to people here. What up? Hello. Uh, how, how is everybody today? I'm mildly hungover and drinking coffee, but I'll try and be my usual exuberant self. I, I, I'm extremely tired from working a 14 hour shift that I wasn't supposed to work yesterday, but we're going to power through because we've got some hot-ass action to kick through. Our main review of the week is David Ayer's Train Day, is it? It's End of Watch. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> could review Training Day if you want. Could. Right. I, did, I did nearly watch it as well. Uh, but I thought, no, I can't do that. Um, we're going to cover a couple of films each in our One Old, One New. Our topic discussion this week is... What is it, Ian? Uh, we're going to be looking at... Um, found footage and whether it is just done or if maybe there's some more life in the old dog yeah and after that we're on to our next installment of our george peakers matters marathon and it is the wonderful cobra so we're gonna play a little clip from the trailer for end to what end of watch and i will get the title right at some point <laughs> <during the podcast>. <laughs> <laughs> um then we're going to get balls deep into it. Remember, we are spoiler heavy on Dude and the Monkey, so if you've not seen it yet, skip forward to other films that you might not have seen yet that we're going to spoil anyway. So, here we go. I am Police Officer 2, Brian Taylor. This is my partner, Officer Zavala. I'm in my charge. I know, dude, come on, come on. I'm in my charge. No, 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 no. Come on, man. We were basic patrol here at Newton. One of the toughest divisions in the LAPD. Take pride in what you do, you guys. Yes, sir. Oh, I got him. I got him. Try to run. Try to run. Pit him, man. Pit him. Pit him. Boom! You know, I see you guys out here being good little company, man. It's all fun and games. You get to run and jump and fight and shoot. I'm done with that. Watch six. Everybody here is family. You know I love you, man. I will lay down my life for you, dude. Hey, partner, what's up? I want to have a daughter, man. That'd be so cool. Just don't let her date cops. She's not dating anyone. Okay. Ever. <laughs> 105 North Avenue, 52. 3rd Sanctuary, 13, Roger. What are we looking for again? Dope, money, and guns. Hablas inglés o español? Good! 
You good, partner? I'm good. What? You got more bling than the old lady's wedding ring. That guy is into something. You're not a detective. Follow me into the house. Oh, my God. Be careful. You just tugged on the tail of a snake. It's going to turn around and bite you back. You think I know we're rolling up on? are operating here. They operate by a different set of rules. So why do they call you Big Evil? Because my evil's big. You're my brother. If anything happened to you, I would take care of your kids. Word is, we got a hit on y'all, man. Y'all been greenlit. We're cops. Everybody wants to kill us. Whoa, 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 whoa. 13 X-ray 13, suspect running on foot. Look at me. We're shooting our way out of here, bro. Okay. On three, dude. You're gonna empty your mag and run. One, two, three. Right. End of Watch is the latest film from David Ayer. Uh, again, it's set in Los Angeles and involves the police department. He's done other films such as, so far in his canon, he was the writer of the terrible U571. He was the writer of the quite brilliant Training Day. He also wrote Fast and Furious, played Fast and the Furious, uh, Dark Blue, SWAT, and then he turned director for Harsh Times, which starred Christian Bale and Freddie Rodriguez. Whatever happened to Freddie Rodriguez? He seemed to be in everything in 2006 mm. and has been in nothing since. Uh, he was a director only on Street Kings. wasn't actually a writer on that one. And he's back here as a writer and director with End of Watch, which stars Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael... I'm going to say Pena? Pena, Pena is I it? think. Pena. Um, and also, as well, which shocked me, as I remember when I was watching it, that Anna Kendrick is also in it, and we have Frank Grillo as well. Uh, the basic outline of the story is... Jake Gyllenhaal and Michael Pear um, play partners who work in South Central Los Angeles, which is, as anybody might know who lives in America and who kind of knows anything about American politics or anything like that, is a very, very high crime rate part of Los Angeles. It's kind of shot, would you say? Um, it's definitely not found footage, um, but part of it is Jake Gyllenhaal's character Brian Taylor is doing a, what he calls a project for his film class, uh, where he mm. has a camera that he walks around with, and both him and Mike um, have cameras pinned to their ties. So occasionally you get things from their point of view, you get things from the camera point of view of Jake Gyllenhaal, but also you get a standardised action now sort of shaky cam as well thrown in within that. So straight into it, um, Ian, what did you think of End of Watch? Um, yeah, I, I had quite a good time with End of Watch, and I, I will say very quickly as well, um, for anybody like in the US, the reason why we're reviewing End of Watch this week is it just came out in UK cinemas, so it came out in the US like a while back, yeah. uh, but Late we're, 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 yeah. Yeah, but we're, we're just getting it now, so that's, that's why we're reviewing it, we go based on UK theatrical dates, um, anyway, uh, End of Watch, I, uh, I had a good time with End of Watch, um, I bought it was just a very interesting kind of 
slice of life of these two guys. Um, I liked the fact that the the drug gangs kind of like plot line was, you know, a, a, like just a skeleton on which to like add a shitload of character stuff. I, I, I liked that it wasn't overly concerned with an over, overarching plot. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm quite a fan of episodic films anyway, and I thought this had that kind of feel to it. Um, Jake Gyllenhaal, Michael Peña, fantastic together. Um, Anna Kendrick as well. I think she was pretty good in it too. Um, I do have problems with the film and most notably the last scene, but we, we will get into that. But, uh, uh Mark yourself. Um, I had, I had a lot of fun with it. I thought again, um, I, like you, I thought it was the, the whole film is based around their partnership. Um, mm. and it's very much, it, it, it's very much essentially it's a buddy cop movie. Um, mm. and it, it, it is it is amusing at a lot of points it is very funny at a lot of points um, I think also well, it's helped by the fact that these guys seem to have a very good sort of camaraderie that goes with it and Jake Hall kind of has grown into a, a, a very very good sort of leading man and seems to pick his, his films very well I mean when you look at if you look back over his career, you know there's there's not a lot of duds in there to be honest. Um, he's he's done he does quite a lot of good films. You just look sort of back from just running from sort of like the past sort of ten years and, and a little bit. You have got Donnie Darko in there, um, Good Girls, a decent film. Brokeback Mountain, Jarhead, Zodiac, um, Brothers was all right. Prince of Persia was fun. Uh, Nothing of the drugs. I thought was a brilliant film. Source Code was great, and then as well you've got Michael Pena, who you know a lot of people associate him more as being a a comedic actor. But again, if you look back over his career, he throws a lot of um, a lot more sort of drama heavy films in there as well. And I think that the whole sort of film hangs upon their performances, and it, it works very well. Um, I I liked the aesthetic of it. I thought it was a it's not a new idea, but I thought it it worked and it was a good way to kind of tell this story and you know having various different camera angles and it was a it was a, a different spin on the whole the whole shaky cam thing, which I think that shaky cam fast editing is starting to wear a little bit thin when every single film is like it. Whereas this it, it had the shaky cam aspect to it, it had the handheld aspect to it. But it kind of it, it didn't fall into the trap of having constant fast editing blasting out everywhere. Um, again, I thought Anna Kendrick was 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 very good. Um, and I was actually um, talking about it with my wife who I watched the film with, and to say Anna Kendrick sort of came to prominence um, in the Twilight films, um, she's she's never really associated as Anna Kendrick from the Twilight films. She's very much separated herself from that quite well by doing well, I, sorry go on. yeah no i mean I, I i think she was very very lucky in that around the time of like the twilight films she was also in up in the air yeah definitely uh, yeah which, which kind of like set her out as okay there's something a little bit different to her you know yeah i mean i i, I think she probably thanks her lucky stars now think she might have got an oscar nomination for that maybe I think she did yeah i'm pretty sure she did yeah so that kind of yeah, that kind of like put her on on, on that kind of that kind of track. But yeah, I don't know because it's it was kind of interesting because it's it's a a bit a bit of a nothing part, mm. but it's made it's made better by the fact she's in it. it, it it's her in it. 
I think. Like, I like her relationship between uh, the relationship between her and Gyllenhaal, um, even though you don't really get too much of it, really. I mean, I mean, actually, what what I mean, what do you get of it? You you get you get really the um, the main bit. I think you get is the morning after they spend the first night together. Which you, oh, you get right, a little yeah. bit of them walking around, then you get them spending the night together, and then you get the morning after where she's going through his wallet, and it, it could be just a throwaway scene, but it's nice to have in there. But it, it it felt to me very much like a performance that could have gone to anyone, but yeah, a good actress has made something of it. You know, she's not tried to own any scene, but mm. she was very good in it, and it, it did lift it, and it did it did pull that in together, you know, there was, like you say, it is quite episodic, there's no, there's no real set kind of timeline to it, there's not a, it doesn't pop up and say, October 27th, 2011, and then bounce through, but you do get, um, the dates in the police, um, cruiser, on the camera that they have fitted to that, there is the dates on that, so you can kind of get an idea of time from there, uh, but to be honest, all you have to assume is the fact that this film starts at one place and then it is the most interesting part of their job over a, it could be anything, I think it, it works out at about an eight month period. Yeah. And so it, it, it is that. It's not, it's not a week in the life of these two guys. It's set over a time, but it doesn't specify the time. Um, and a, a lot of it is just them just riding around in the car. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, and I think it makes it feel more realistic as well, the fact that it's not like all this shit happened in a week. Mm. You know, I mean, I'm not even talking about, like, the relationship between uh, him and Anna Kendrick, but, like, the... Because, like, the, the kind of what plot there is that, you know, they get noticed by, like, the, the big kingpin south of the border and they're targeted, you know. I like how... Yeah that stuff's kind of built up, you know, like they're, they're going around and like, it, it, it's like the, the moment where they find the stash of kind of like, uh, blinged up guns. Yeah. And then the moment where they find that, the, the kind of like all the people in that house, yeah, it, it, it feels like there's been a few months in between there. It's not just like bang, bang. They've yeah. done these like the next day or something. And I appreciate it. I, I think also, well, the fact that, uh, cause the, the whole idea of the film is that, um, these two guys, that Brian and Mike, they start attracting the attention of um, the uh, Mexican cartels, and because they keep on, they keep on busting up, you know, their operations in South Central, yeah. and so they become marked men, um, and because they're within their sort of where they're based, they are sort of two quite well-respected guys um, within the criminal community because they do things. You know they do things right by I love by everyone. I I I love that aspect that the 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 one guy who like respect respects them because he was just like look he he's street, you know he got down with me and you know he could have busted me for this uh the, the, this other thing but he didn't yeah. you know and it, it it's just like they're not just they do go around thinking they're hot shit and they do kind of go in all guns blazing but at the same time they're not just they're not just like, look, we're, we're going to fucking bust everybody, you oh. know. It's like they've still got a sense of the street, which I Yeah, they're, they're still very much within within the law um, of doing it. They're, you know, they, they accept the fact that they have to do it a slightly different way, but it's not like 
they're not operating outside of what they're supposed to do. They're very procedural. And the fact that it keeps on shooting to um, Brian, who is constantly talking into the mic, and he has a different voice for talking at the mic than when he's talking yeah. to Mike. <laughs> um, yeah. And that was good. But the, the great thing is, is people start telling him um, that, you know, that are oh, your marked guys. Um, and they kind of don't believe it because they're not intentionally going to bust up these cartel things. They just happen to do it kind of by accident, almost. They're not, they're intentionally going and doing what they're doing, but they're not targeting these places yeah they're just they, they're happening upon them more or less and it, and it's and it also i mean like the reason why they're not targeting them is because they're not really allowed to like they basically get told like that that fbi guy like says he throws them a bone and then tells them to fuck off mm. so they, they they can't investigate that's the thing it just it is it is a bit coincidental that they they do these couple of things but then again, I mean, like, it's just these couple of things. They're not going, yeah, like you say, they're not going around and, like, arresting all the de- like all the dealers and, like, finding the suppliers or anything like that. I, and I like the fact that it, they would do that if they could, but they can't because the FBI tell them to fuck off. That just, like, it gives it it gives it a great sense of reality, yeah, I it's think. Very much, that's very much an FBI warning of you're out of your depth. Don't yeah, yeah, do totally. this. Um, so, um I, I liked a lot of things about the film. Like I say I think Jake Gyllenhaal is, is is fast becoming one of my um, go-to actors. To be honest, I think he's been he's been excellent recently. But you said you had a few issues with it. What was what were the issues you had with it? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I will say, I mean, one small problem I had with it was um, there are moments where like score um, kind of flares up, which I felt um, uh, I, I were a little. Um, I, don't, I just don't think you needed them. It was like it would pop up when things were getting tense. And it was like, I'm already tense enough. And it's like the found footage thing. They, they are a little shaky with it. Like in the kind of like the, well, who exactly is filming this bit kind of thing. And like, sometimes they try and justify it. Sometimes they don't. And I, I know the, the film's been criticized for mm. that. But it's like, I, I think further to that, I think what breaks the sense of reality more is having these little moments of score flare up. Um, now, I will also say... Um, the Jake Gyllenhaal telling Michael Pena, oh yeah, she's pregnant, like on the very day of, yeah, you know, that was it. Like the, the end, I think they kind of like, they, they, they focused so much on the relationship between them, but I think at the end they, they kind of dropped the ball with that a little bit. Just like it gets very, very conventional. And like, I, I thought the fact that Jake Gyllenhaal survived was was interesting, and like that whole funeral scene, I thought was great. But then the very very last scene, mm. wh- where it kind of feels like it was just a del- deleted scene that they just decided to re-add back in, I I get what Ao was going for, kind of like remind like kind of reminding us of the the relationship between between the two guys and like thinking of better days. But at the same time, I think it really, really takes away from the impact of the like the preceding ten minutes, which is really, really exciting and actually quite upsetting filmmaking. But like then they just kind of end it on a jokey kind of thing. It almost kind of felt like a producer was just like, "Look, we need to cheer this up a bit," or something. You know, it, it just I had a problem. It did, with it. it did feel um, it did feel a little bit out of context, to be honest. It, 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 I can, I can say, I can see why he was doing it, 
and I can see why uh, I had decided to put it in and it was to kind of it was either a light in the mood or it was to sort of or it, it or it could be considered another another gut punch that it was another look these guys were laughing and joking and then this happened I think you get enough of a gut punch from the funeral scene and yeah, also the revelation that Jay Gyllenhaal's character is still alive and he's got to live with this. Mm. Yeah. You know, like... That if um, if Mike hadn't have stayed with him um, and, you know, tried to help him, he'd still be alive. You yeah. Know? And the fact that it was Jay Gyllenhaal who says, we're going out of here, we're getting out of here, start, start you know, you need to unload your clip and then run, yeah. and it was it was very much that, and also it's all Jill John Hall's the one who says, well, "No, I, I, I took a number off this, and I think we should go and investigate this." He knows that this is this. It Mike just wants to go cruise round, do his job, and anything like that. It's it, it's Brian, John Hall's character, who wants to take things that little bit further. He wants to become a detective. He wants to look into stuff further. So Mike's kind of along on his ride. Um, and there's very much that, but also as well, there's a there's a throwaway comment in the film um, where Mike turns round to uh, Brian and says, "Yeah, but you were in the Marines," and you're kind of thinking, "Well, at that point, you're like, do you, was he is that a joke or was he yeah. in the Marines?" Uh, and he kind of there's there's a lot of exploring um, and a lot of um, character development from Mike. We get a lot of stories of his family and him growing up and stuff like that. But you get none of that from Brian. You know, he, he, he's a little bit more of a blank slate, to be honest. The only sort of yeah, bit, yeah, yeah, yeah. are the bits that are happening. You get no, nothing about what he was before he became a cop. Yeah, no, I, I, yeah, I think that's fair. I'd actually forgotten about that bit. That is, that is odd. I, I, don't, I mean, like, like Brian. I think he's the the Pena character, isn't he? No, or, uh, Mike's the Pena character. No, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, to be honest, I think, I think Mike's probably a bit of a blank slate as well. I mean, there's not, there's not too much oh, to him apart from like it, it, he got married out of high school and. You know that that was about it. But I don't know. I mean, it's yeah. That is. That is a little weak, actually, yeah. But to be honest, I, I, I don't think... It didn't bother me, to be honest, because I think the whole crux of the film is this two guys' friendship and the, the fact that these two guys are going around. There's also some great comedy moments in it. Uh, there's a great scene oh, totally. with, the, uh, with the shaving cream on the guy's hands. Um, and there's, there, there, there is some, there's some great moments of comedy in it. But um, I think we'll, 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 we'll wrap up this review um and before we do like our little summarize i'm just gonna uh, read a little quick quote from uh william freakin uh who oh, said yeah. end of watch the great film maybe the best cop film ever not kidding i don't know these guys just in awe of what they have captured about cops lives so freakin yeah, a man, a man if, who, if, who, who is who is very very susceptible to hyperbole. Though, let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, no, totally. But I think it's lovely of him to kind of say that and just kind of, and uh, like come out and and say things like that. And the fact he's not connected to him, it's like so often I think 
when people are saying, oh, like filmmakers and celebrities are saying, oh, this is great, blah, blah, blah. They've got some, they do have some sort of connection, yeah. you know, and it, I find that very, very trying, you know, uh, it, it, I, I, I don't know. So the, the freak can come out saying that. I mean, it, it does have an intensity to it that I think Friedkin must appreciate, like the French Connection, you know, like the um, him chasing the the train in in French Connection mm. and the kind of, like the flying by the seat of your pants filmmaking of that. It does kind of feel like there are there are elements of of End of Watch that are, you know, that are very much like that. Um, even though I think Friedkin has made better cop movies than End of Watch. Yeah. But um, I, 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 to be honest, I think that's very cool that he um that he said that yeah i mean what i would say is end of watch is i I, i'm a huge fan of cop movies um and i think this is a a brilliant entry into a genre that's that's not had enough over the past few years to be honest uh, or not had enough good entries in the past few years um that's that's the thing i mean i haven't even seen harsh times or street kings because they both just look quite generic i mean i am interested in uh harsh times like like i'd I'd like to see what christian bell does in that but they just i don't know they never really grabbed me they kind of felt like just david ayer playing in his usual in his usual place but i i I don't know i think he's he's hit upon something with end of watch i think uh, i mean for me harsh times is, is good but it's quite throwaway um sure Christian Bale is Christian Bale and he's very good and he's very intense but it, the kind of the film gets a little bit muddled in its own story and it's there's not enough story there um, to, to flesh out the film Street Kings is interesting that's a that's Street Kings is, is, a, is a good Saturday night watch you know you could quite sure. happily put that on on a Saturday night at 11 o'clock and you won't get bored um, but you won't come away going, that was amazing. But it would be a good watch. But I think End of Watch does seem to be a lot more like he's he's gone for something and he's, he's tried to make something a little bit, with a little bit more depth to it. So I, I, was, a big, I, I was a big fan. It gets a big thumbs up from me, to be honest. Nice. Yeah, no, I, I, um, I, I go four out of five. Um, I, 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 I certainly liked it well enough and uh, I would be up for a rewatch. Cool. Right. So that's end of watch gets a um, a a yes from uh, the dude and the monkey guys. So we're gonna listen to some promos, yep. then we're gonna come back and we're gonna talk about one old and one new. It was a childhood corrupted by endless hours of VHS rentals. We're sick to manage shit. You'd love it. In his most formative years, he had seen it all. I can handle anything. Action. <laughs> Karate is not to be used aggressively. But if I have no other choice. Horror. <laughs> And romance. Now he's decided it's time to go back for just one more adventure. Humans are such an easy prey. Noel Miller presents. You're the problem, you little shit. The Adventures in VHS podcast. <laughs> <laughs> 
Join me, Noel Mellor, as each month I take an in-depth look at one movie from my collection of ex-rental 80s VHS classics and speak to one or two of the people involved with making them about what the format means to them. The Adventures in VHS Podcast. Thank you. Have a nice day. Download today from iTunes by searching for Adventures in VHS or visit adventuresinvhs.com. Are you tired of film podcasts where the hosts exist in a constant, blissful state of agreement? I mean, the main, the main characters are two of the dullest main characters I have ever encountered in any film. Well, you're in luck. Let me introduce you to Chinstroker and Punter. One is an ex-film student with a penchant for David Lynch and hard cinema. The other is a man on the street. Listen in perplexed and horrified terror as we tear apart one film a week. Just really it's isn't. not visually striking. No. I just just getting confirmation. It's just in that's the third time though. I mean I must is this on? You can find us at chinstrokerversuspunter.podomatic.com. So come and share the victory. If you could f any man in film, who would it be and why? My answer is Lance Henriksen. Oh. He, he wouldn't tell. He looks like somebody <laughs> He looks like somebody who can keep, keep a secret. Cool, right. I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna let you go first, Ian. Do you want to give me your one old or your one new? Um, but, 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 let's go. Let, let's go. Let's, let's go one old first, and I'm gonna ever so slightly cheat. You horrible um, Because I watched two films from the same director, kind of broadly in the same genre. Am I allowed? Uh, yes. Okay. I will uh, you review I... Emmanuel one and two. <laughs> uh, not quite. Um, I um, I no. I, I actually uh, had a little bit of a Michael Mann double bill, oh. and um, I on Monday I rewatched uh, Miami Vice for the director's cut, and uh, yesterday I rewatched Collateral, um, both on Blu-ray, and I really 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 like both of these films now I, I mean i'll be i'll be absolutely honest first time i saw miami vice in the cinema i actually fell asleep during it um but this was during a period of my life when i was like getting up at six like no actually like, getting up at like quarter to five in the morning for work and this was like at nine o'clock in the evening screening so it wasn't really anything to do with the film but like miami vice was a film it is a film it's, it's kind of it's basically disappeared really like no one ever ever talks about it um but I think there's there's a lot of worth to it, and especially in the director's cut, and especially on Blu-ray. Um, and I mean, this this goes with Collateral as well. I mean, Michael Mann was doing a lot of digital cinematography like years and years before basically any other filmmaker, George Lucas aside, in the kind of like the the blo- like kind of grade A tier like blockbuster filmmaking, and. Um, they didn't look amazing on the big screen. Miami Vice in particular, I remember looking like shit. Um, whereas on Blu-ray, like I think like, the digital to digital transfer um, helps, but also maybe seeing them on a, a smaller screen. Um, I mean, Miami Vice looks really, really interesting. Um, and, and, well, I mean, Clatterall does as well. And I mean, what Michael Mann does very, very well with both of these films um, I mean, with L.A. and Clatterall and Miami and Miami Voice, the Vice, obviously, is he kind of it, it, it's like the cinematography is helping informing that, that you're seeing this world that you shouldn't really be seeing. Like, um, 
LA, uh, like uh, kind of at night, feels like it, it. There's kind of like a surreal feeling to it, like like the normal rules don't really apply, you know. And um, I, I I really enjoy that, and I think the the kind of the, the at times a little videoy kind of like motion blurry feel of the cinematography really uh, informs that. Uh, and with Miami Vice, I mean, it's it's kind of the same thing, except like the, the world you're seeing is the world of these Vice guys doing what they do. Um, I mean, I, I listen to this podcast, the Road Free Cinecast. There's this guy on there, Kurt, who says that Michael Mann loves showing people doing their jobs and doing their jobs well. And um, I, I think that's certainly the case with Miami Vice, like, like just seeing them set all this stuff up. The fact that it's as bothered by the minutia of the operations as it is by the actual plot, I think is interesting. But at the same time, I can see why a mainstream audience would um, would reject it. But then Collateral, I mean, was obviously it's more, it's more well regarded. And I'm not I, I, I'm not surprised. But the, the relationship between Cruz and Fox in that film is fucking amazing. Um, like just the, the 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 kind of the battle of power between them and like the place like the way that Fox's character grows like there's a scene with him and Javier Bardem where you basically see Fox's character actually physically grow a pair of balls mm. and it's it's staggering and Javier Bardem as well I was watching it and I was thought I was thinking like that's Javier Bardem but he's a little fat yeah he is, and isn't he? <laughs> Yeah, it's it's really really odd, you know, because like it was only a couple of years later, well, like three years later, that he did No Country for Old Men, and he basically looks like a different guy. And you know, at the end, when I saw it come up, Javier Bardem, I was like, "Fuck me, that really was him." Um, but yeah, I mean, problems with both of the films, I would say, Michael Mann's song choices at times <laughs> are a little brutal. Yeah. Um, he's got an obsession with Chris Cornell, or I suppose Audio Slave with with Clatterol, uh, which is pretty bad. Even though I, I mean, generally I I think Chris Cornell's all right. But there's also in Miami Vice director's cut, there's a new metal cover of In the Air tonight while the big shootout's playing, which is mind-boggling, absolutely mind-boggling. And I swear in the theatrical cut, it's John Murphy who did the score for Sunshine. It, like, there are moments in this that sound very Sunshine, actually. Yeah, uh, he does. He, he does that. The thing is, John Murphy does that a lot. The Last House on the Left remake has got it, it, the music's by him, and I specifically remember seeing it in the cinema. And there's a scene earlier on where the, the girl is um, uh, swimming in a lake, and it just sounds like the sound sh- Sunshine score is just blaring over the top of it. It's bizarre, but um, yeah, and it's just like let's just stick with his music instead of a fucking new metal cover of In, in the Air tonight. It's um, it, it's bizarre, but I mean th- th- those are really my only major problems. I mean with Miami Vice, Colin Farrell's kind of dirty, hairy, mustachioed guy getting it on with Gong Lee, I don't think quite works either. No, there's, there's a, um, for me, there's, there's, a, there's a period of maybe 10, 15 minutes yes. in the middle of Miami Vice where I think that's the point where it lost a lot of people. Where they go to Cuba. Yeah, and it, 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 I, I'll be honest, that I could. I could do that that bit. I love Man Race. It's a great film, but I could probably do without certain parts of that section. It gets a little bit too... I don't need to see a five-minute montage of Jamie Foxx in a shower. I just... I don't need it. Uh, And that that started to bother me a little bit. But then you've got that that end, sort of the, um, the trailer 
um, bit towards oh, the yeah, end. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's being held by the white supremacists. Yeah, that. Yes. That <laughs> whole scene is... It, that is... Right, you want to... That should be shown to film students. Uh, right, you want to show tension and you want to show a... Just a procedural planning and then execution all in one. That is an astonishingly made scene. Up there, I would say, with the heist in Heat. For, sure. For, for just a, a director who is absolutely, completely in control of what he's doing. It, it's brilliant. Um, but I think Colin Farrell is just cool as fuck in this. It's like he turned up on the first day and went, kind of walked in and said, right, should I go to makeup? Uh, and get sorted, and then she went, no, that's fine, you're fine, the, just go. The thing, I think it was kind of during that period where he was dabbling in quite a lot of drink and drugs, yeah. and it, it kind of actually informs the performance, I think. There's, like, he's, like, he's very, very, he's kind of focused on the job, but it kind of feels like he could fly off the handle at any fucking moment and just do whatever, you know? It, it, it just, there's there's an intensity to him, which... I don't know, does seem a little bit coke fuel to me. You know, I, I obviously I don't know whether that's a fact or not. But and like you say, it does just seem like, yeah, he just grew out his hair and got a bit sweaty. Yeah. It just like stayed up all night and then just came in, came into work at six o'clock in the morning and was just like, let's fucking do yeah. this. You know? go. I, 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 have, I have maybe seven hours of energy. Let's do it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And uh, I don't know. I just, I, I, I think that's very funny. Even though I will say the the music as well. There's a, there's a Mogwai tune uh, during like the end sequence of Miami Vice, which I thought was great though. Um, there's always nice to have a bit of Mogwai. But um, yeah, so I mean that was my one slash two old. But um, yeah, um, how about your, how about your new Mark? Well, my new uh, segues beautifully. It's like we almost planned this, which I assure you we didn't. My uh, one new is. Um, the Total Recall remake, which I'm, oh, shit. Nice. Which I'm going to say <laughs> is not actually a remake. It, it, it's it's a butchering. Um, yeah. Total Recall, the um, 2012 remake of the brilliant um, 1991 film starring Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, is it really? 1991? 1991, yeah, I'm sure it was. Let's have a look. I'll, 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 I'll babble in early while you check see if it was 1991. 1990. Sorry, 1990. Um, and is directed by um, Len I'm a cunt Wiseman, uh, starring his sour faced bitch of a wife, um, Colin Farrell, Jessica Beal, who's now boring because she's got too thin and you can't see her ass anymore, Brian Cranston in a completely wasted role, Johnny Cho in another completely wasted role, and Bill Nye in a role that I have no idea why he was even in. Oh, mate, I've got to ask as well. God, did you watch the director's yes, cut? Yes, I the did. 15-minute longer director's cut. Yeah. God, that sounds brutal. Right. Um, I'll, I'll lay it out there. I have a lot of problems with Len Wiseman, mainly because I don't understand how Len Wiseman can make films. He's fucking awful. He's a brutally bad director. Not just He's not just bad, he's terrible. He, I'm just, just going over his films. Um... Underworld, Underworld Evolution, Die Hard, Live Free or Die Hard, which, you know, are people now willing to admit was shit? Because I, I, I remember when it came out, 
just been sat there and thinking, why is everyone saying this is great? It's shit. Um, and then this. Um, it's. I'm not going to go into it too much because it it's just terrible. It is. It's like. It's like Lemon's just gone right. I'm remaking. I'm, I'm remaking Total Recall, but I'm not going to make it like it was before. I'm going to make it my own film. Um, and how I'm going to make it is by basically watching every good sci-fi film for the past thirty years and stealing bits from it. The set design is Blade Runner. Now people can say, yeah, but it's written by the same guy and everything like that. Sorry, don't watch for me. It, it, it it's like he's watched Blade Runner and gone, I want that. I want that. Well, there's 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 one moment where there, it looks like it's an exact shot where I think it's um, just after the uh, uh, two weeks bit and um, uh, he's he's running along and he's got a long trench coat on. Yeah. And there's kind of like a, a profile shot of him running. And it just it looks like Harrison Ford going after um, uh, going after one of the uh, one of the replicants in Blade Runner. I mean, it's it's brutal how obvious that you know is. What? I actually paused the movie, turned round to my missus, and went, "Jesus fucking Christ!" Just if you're gonna butcher a film that I love, just fucking make Blade Runner and have done with it, because it, he does look exactly like Harrison Ford there in the yeah, trench coat. Yeah, yeah. What the fuck? But there's there's so many. You just watch it going. Well, that's that, and that's that, that's that. Colin Farrell is completely wasted in this film because what I've always said uh, to people about Total Recall is Total Recall as as the story of We Can Remember It for You at Wholesale. I have no problem with that being made again. I have no problem with remakes at all. If people want to remake a film or want to do a different version of a a, a written story. I, I, that's cool, you know. I'm not a remake hater, um, but and I think that the, the Total Recall um, or we can remember wholesale could make another good film to go alongside the uh, the Schwarzenegger Verhoeven film um, because that's very much a film of its own right. It uses the story mm. to create its own film. You could do another film using the same story and take it in a completely different direction and have these two versions of the same story and both of them be, br- be brilliant in different ways and the, the, the way that you do that is you do not let w- Len fucking Wiseman do it, it- the, 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 the thing with Len Wiseman is he's like Brett Ratner he's a safe pair of hands it's here's your budget here's the amount of days you have to shoot do it and he'll do it and he'll bring things in on time and on budget and they will be completely innocuous I mean, I'm, I'm- that, I'm, it's just what I'm he does. very glad that this film. I mean, this film still made just shy two hundred million, but that was off a a production budget of around sort of one hundred twenty five hundred thirty million. So technically, this isn't a flop, but technically it's not a hit either, really, in the great scheme of things. You know, you've got a the, the rule of thumb generally is that you've got to double your budget. And he has well, it's, actually, it's more like three times your budget these yeah, days. Yeah, because like, like with of, marketing. Yeah, there, there was a lot of marketing behind Total Recall as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, let's say I thought Colin Farrell was, was very good in it. He, he does it very well with uh, what essentially is a character that um, the screenplay assumes you already know and you already know about, so doesn't try to develop at all. Um, Jessica Biel is is almost completely pointless in it. Um, I thought um, there is her character appears, says a few bits, and then that's it. 
Mm. Um, this this isn't, you know, this might just be me and my bias. This isn't Colin Farrell's film. It's not Jessica Biel's film. This film is the story of Laurie, of his wife. Mm. Uh, it is Kate Beckinsale's movie. And she has three accents in it for no reason and flips between these three different accents. And none of them are, are an actual accent. They're just voices. And it, the film essentially becomes... Um, Battle in a room, run across buildings. Battle in a room, run across buildings. Battle in a room, run. That's it. It's terrible. It is, I, I, was, I was expecting it to be bad. I wasn't expecting it to be that bad. I, I, didn't, I, I actually didn't hate it as much as you, I must say. Um, I, I still didn't like it all that much, but I, I don't know. I thought Kate Beckinsale as basically a henchman. I thought... Like, like physically, she really got into it, and it looked like it was her doing an awful lot of the stuff. And I was just thinking, like, well, you know, good on her, frankly. Um, and, but, and I don't know. I just don't really remember anything of it. I mean, like, I, I remember it, like, being long, and I can't, I can't imagine what a two-hour, thirteen-minute version of, of of this film is like. Like, it's the painful. theatrical cuts, one hundred and eighteen minutes, and it's just, oh my god, it's painful. Right, so that, that's enough of me hating this film. Um, what was your one uh, new that you watched this week? Okay, um, well, I didn't hate this by any means. Um, uh, Kurosawa's uh, a, a, a director that, like, I've, I kind of always, I've always been meaning to try and watch more of his stuff. Basically, I mean, like, what have I seen? I've, I've seen Seven Samurai, I've seen Rashomon. Uh, beyond that, I think that might actually be it. I haven't seen Throne of Blood. I haven't seen Hidden Fortress, you know. Um, but there, there was one one film of his that I, I've, I've been very intrigued to watch, and I finally did this week, um, High and Low, um, which is actually one of his, uh, at the time, actually, like, contemporarily set films, and uh, is absolutely fucking fantastic. Uh, I believe it was made in 1960 but let me just check this and um it was made it wasn't released for a couple of years though was it uh it was not yeah it was released in 1963 well, it was, it was uh, made before that though i think i think you're right i think uh, i think it was made a little bit before that it took a while to get it released right okay um oh that's a shame but I, it came out in the uk in 67 fucking Ooh. hell God, can you imagine a world like 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 that these days, where like a Kurosawa film takes four years to actually get to the UK? <sighs> Fucking hell. Um, so yeah, no. The story is. Um, have you ever seen this before? It's one of the few that I haven't actually seen. No, I'm just looking through. I've maybe not seen because I've got all of. I've I got a Kurosawa box set a few years ago, which which has all his films in it, um, and I proceeded to work my way through them. Um, and there are four that I haven't seen, and that's one of them. <laughs> but right, don't worry, okay. you, you can spoil the shit out of it because it doesn't bother me. No, 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 I won't, I won't, I won't spoil it just because I think it's probably not a widely seen film. Uh, to be honest, like in in terms of like Kurosawa's filmography, it's not one I hear getting talked about that, that, that no, much. And also, the, the plot's really interesting as well. Uh, basically, the setup. Uh, you've got a guy who's working, uh, he's kind of like one of the heads of a shoemaking company. And at the start, he's having a meeting with a couple of the other guys and like they're saying, look, we can produce this kind of shoe. It's really, really cheap and, you know, it'll make us lots of money. And the and the, the, the protagonist is just saying, well, 
do you know what? No, fuck off. We want we want to be proud of what we're doing, blah, blah, blah. And it uh, then they bugger off. And it's revealed that he is basically he's been buying up a load of stock in the company and he's going to be the majority shareholder once this check that he's got gets delivered to uh, the person he's buying some shares off of. Now, so and he's remortgaged his house. He's like put everything he owns into borrowing money to buy this stock. Uh, now, he then gets a call saying that his son's been kidnapped and the uh, the ransom demand is uh, like 30 million yen or something like that, which is basically like almost all the money he's got. Um, but then it's revealed that it wasn't his son who was kidnapped. It was actually his chauffeur's son. And it was he was kidnapped by mistake. But the uh, the kidnapper still asked for the money. So the guy basically has a moral quandary. Um, d does he want to save the chauffeur's son or does he want to potentially have the chauffeur's son killed, but, you know, have enough money to be able to take over this company and and secure financial security for his family and himself? So it's it's a moral drama. Um, but I will say this takes up about the first half of the film. And then the second half is the aftermath of the, of the decision that's made. Mm. And it becomes a procedural. Um, so the, fir the first half is this, like, it, it never leaves this guy's apartment, basically. And the police come round, but they have to kind of hide um, because the, 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 the kidnappers said, I don't want any police. So, like, the, the, the drawers are, like, perpetually shut. So it's all, like, it's really, really claustrophobic. And it's this guy basically debating with other people like the police and the chauffeur and his wife about what he's going to do and he goes from uh one way uh to the other and it's brilliant and like the morality of it it's you know basically all the the, the all the sides of each argument are, are, are kind of hashed out and you kind of have to think about what, what you know what would you do do in this kind of situation i mean it's a it's a fantastic setup um, and then in the, the second half, it, it is it's it's basically I mean, it's again like the Michael Mann thing of seeing people doing their jobs and doing them well, where it focuses on a police investigation and how and it doesn't it, like the, 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 the man who like the protagonist from the first half is barely in the second half. And it's just watching them like piece together things or maybe not you know maybe there are red herrings and things like that and it's 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 fantastically staged and the, the second half is like the cinematography is brighter and it's more open but that also that lends a feeling of helplessness as well because it's just this person could be anyone and how the fuck are they actually going to narrow it down it's 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 absolutely fascinating um, and then the last scene is just chilling as well. Like the, the very, very ending, as it says, the end and kind of the sound over it is really, really intense. Um, it's it's just fantastic. It, I, it, it, it looks absolutely gorgeous. The performance is a great. I mean, it's, um, uh, uh, it's Toshiro Mifune mm. as the um, owner of the uh, well, the uh, the kind of the chairman of the uh, the shoe company. Um so obviously you've you, you know you've got him there he is fantastic and um you've got the um you know you've even i mean even like the the lead from ikiru turns up barely has any any lines in it but just seeing him there just kind of like for me kind of adds weight to it you know it's it's just it's 
it's riveting stuff. It's like two hours, 20 minutes long as well. It's a long old film, mm. but you just start to finish. It's absolutely electrifying. That, that, that's um, kind so, of Kurosawa's thing. He, he, he's, it's, it's very rare you get a Kurosawa film under sort of two hours, and the majority of them tend to, to stretch out sort of beyond that, that sort of two hour Absolutely, but I, I I couldn't recommend it highly enough. And a makes to watch from Kurosawa. I've got um, Stray Dog, which I'm really Ooh, really looking forward to. Uh, yeah. So and then, and then I will get into his um, kind of more period uh, period stuff at, at some point. But um, yeah, high and low. Just for anyone who likes, I I think I was on a bit of a kind of a procedural kick this uh, week I'm actually. A, I'm so a huge it, fan of procedural dramas. I mean, one 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 throw out there uh, a a bit of a. A throwaway Curacao one, I was I was told. So it may be interesting to watch it. It's a 1957 film called The Lower Depths, which is based on a play, which is a really kind of um, a bizarre, almost almost like a passion project. Like 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 he's he's had a spare couple of weeks and thought, you know, what, I'm gonna make a film, um, and it, it's all set like in this really sort of like in like the absolute lowest level of society in Japan. Um, who live in this sort of tenement building, but it's not a building, it's basically just little wooden struts that have beds within them and they sleep in that. And they they keep breaking a dance and starting dancing. It, it is a, a very strange but but brilliant film. So I'd I I'd check that out at some point. Just to throw that out there. Nice, nice. Um, um but yeah, no. Let's 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 get into it. Uh, what was your one old for this week? Uh, I'm going back to because I I've, uh, I had a very busy week, so I, I I've watched very little this week. Um, so I'm going back to something I watched a couple of weeks ago. Um, for my one old, but I'm just set the scene. Let's say tomorrow morning you wake up, right? And there's a new film being announced, and they're announcing a director and a cast list. Now, let's say the director is uh, somebody who. Um, has been recently a directed episodes of Dexter, Battlestar Galactica, Breaking Bad, Homeland, and let's say that, that, that this is this is the cast that he was going to direct a film about, right? Um, Matt Damon, Edward Norton, John Turturro, Gretchen Moll, John Malkovich. Let's say that was the cast he was going to throw out there, and it was going to be a drama about underground poker, right? You'd be excited, yeah. wouldn't you? About oh, yeah. that movie. That movie exists. It has existed for 14 <laughs> years, and it is called Rounders. And Rounders, I don't yeah. know why people don't give it a lot more love. It is a brilliant film. Um, basic story is, is uh, Matt Damon plays a guy called Mike, who is a studying to be a lawyer, and on the side, he makes money as a poker player. Um, at the start of the film, he rolls into one of the underground poker um, dens, we'll call them, um, clubs, um, and he's amassed um, $30,000. And he goes in to play at the big stakes, high-stake game with uh, a guy played by John Malkovich called Penny Gate GB. And it's his way of going, do you know what, I'm here, I can, you know, I can roll with the big guys. And he loses it all. Decides he's going to give up um, poker, because uh, his girlfriend at the time, Joe, played by Gretchen Moll, says that if he doesn't, that's it, they're done. So he gives up, and then 
six months goes by, and his best friend, uh, who is played by Edward Norton, and goes by the strange name of Worm, also known as Lester, uh, is being released from prison. And Worm is also a card player, but isn't as gifted as, as Mike. He, he's more, he plays what he calls the angles, which essentially is cheating. Um, he comes out, just talks uh, Mike back into the game, and basically starts running up debts in his name, which also adds to the debts that Worm owes anyway, and Mike is forced to go, fuck it. Accept the fact that he would like his life to be going through this, doing the, the grifting to get the money to live off playing poker. Um, mm. And it, it, it's just a great film. I, I, I remember I, I watched it when it first came out. I actually saw it, weird enough, I saw it in the theatre. Um, despite the fact that when it came out over here, I was only sort of like 14, 15 years old, I managed to um, sneak into a showing of it. Um, and at the time, I was a... You know, I think Edward Norton was starting to come to prominence uh, and Matt Damon was still riding high from the uh, Goodwill Hunting. Um, sort of, he was still riding that crest of a wave. Um, and I thought it was brilliant then and I've always been a, a big fan of it. And then I watched it recently on um, Netflix again, thought, oh, you know, I'd seen that in a while, I'll give it another go. And it, it still holds up. It's still a great, tense film. It, it kind of, it, it plays around with explaining to you you know, this is how you work poker, this is how you play it, this is how you do it, and this is how people are good at it, and this is why it's not just a game of chance, um, that it, it's it's a skill game, and it, it's, it's there's all these different ways you can do it, and it's it has great characters, and it's just, it's a thoroughly entertaining movie, um, that never becomes too serious that it becomes bogged down, but never becomes too light that it loses its edge, Um and I think it's one of those ones where it's starting to get now. People are starting to talk about it a little bit more and starting to say, God, that was a great movie. And I think it's one of those that maybe it could end up in, I don't know, in five, six years' time, having a, um, a 20th anniversary release on some kind of whatever format we're on there, then where they actually, I don't know, they shoot it, beam it directly in our brains or whatever we're up to by then. <laughs> yeah. um, but it'll that's when it'll start to people will start to go. Do you know what? That's a that was a fucking great movie. A little bit like what happened with um, things like King of Comedy. You know, not appreciated at the time, but now very much appreciated as as a very you know one of the standout movies of its time. Mm, no, that's that's the thing. Like everybody who, who's seen Rounders really really likes it. Yeah, it's just it is one of those ones that will. Yeah, it, it will get there. I, you know, it, it, yeah, because you're right. It's it's not talked about at all as random, random, is it? Yeah. But it's like what it's like what we were saying about Punch Drunk Love last week. You know, that it, like at some point that will get a reassessment as well. You know, it just it all it, it's a strange one because there's no there's no reason for it not to have done well. You know, it it, it I think it, it struggled to get a good release. I think I think it was released at a funny time. Um, I think it, it coincided with a couple of other very big movies. And so it just kind of, it, it fell by the wayside a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's a great movie. If you've not seen it, um, really, I've not given that much away. Um, you can pretty much tell what's going to happen in the film from the start. Um, yeah. But it's it, it's a, um, 
it's a it's a brilliant film. Nice. Right. So that was our one old, one new. Um, so we're going to be back in a second when we're going to be discussing what we're going to be discussing. Oh, found footage and uh, and uh, its kind of relevance today. Cool, right. I'm the dude, so that's what you call me. Right, I'm going to let you take the reins on this one because uh, this was your idea to bring this uh, to us and... I'm just going to get some Pepsi, actually. That's, that's that, right, is, that is beautiful. Um, other callers are available. <laughs> okay, I'll just be a sec. Right, so with the uh, release of End of Watch, which is uh, another in a long line these days of um, found footage films, I was, I was thinking about uh, the idea of whether found footage is uh, done or not. Um, you know, you get... I, I think... Found footage may be the most kind of whined about aspect of filmmaking on like the blogosphere um, today. I mean, I can't really think of I can't really think of anything else where people are just like, oh, it's another found footage. But oh, I'm so done with found footage. And it just like end of watch made me think, well, do we necessarily have to be done with it because i think a large part of what makes end of watch work in terms of its impact i think comes from the the, the style of filming yeah even though i suppose and, and in a way though i mean I, like I, you know found footage it's kind of a catch-all term as well because i know um kermode got some shit a couple of a uh, couple of weeks back because he referred to sinister as a found footage film because it deals with footage that's found mm. You know, so I mean, like, I suppose, like, when when I say found footage, I'm referring to this style of filmmaking, whether the footage is actually found or not. Just this people talking into the camera, pe people within the film shooting it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I know. You, yeah. You can, because I think essentially, really, because um, I, I, when you sort of mentioned that, I sort of thought, well, is End of Watch a found footage film? But it is because although it's not oh look. We found this footage. It, you know, it, uh, the majority of the film is the tapes that Brian has, has been doing or the uh, yeah. the digital copies of the whatever Brian has been doing. Um, and so, you know, they, somebody has got them to put the film together in a way. So technically, yeah, although it's never associated as being a found footage film, it technically would be a found footage film, definitely, yeah. Um, I, I mean... Yeah, it is. It is quite a. Um, it's a topic that crops up every time a found footage film comes out, which is a lot. I mean, there have been a, a lot this year um, of found footage films, and I think that it's very much a. It, it's an easy thing to shoot something out and say, oh, "I'm done with it. It's terrible. It's gone. It's something like that." It, it, it's a bit like saying, "I think found footage." So no, there was a, a thing that um, Stuart Max ran on, on on Twitter um, sort of came where. It, he was discussing with Mark Kermode about whether or not found footage is a style of filmmaking or whether or not it has become a genre of filmmaking. Mm. Um, what, what are your feelings on that? My feelings with that is I don't think it is a a genre in itself because you can do something, let's say, um, The Devil Inside was a found footage film. Um, mm. That's a horror film. That's its genre. It's a horror film. It's its style. It is it is a found footage film. Um, so it, it, 
can its style be its genre? Um, and I, I'm I'm not sure whether it whether it whether it can. I, you could you could group these films together and say this is a group of found footage films, but I, I'm not sure that that makes a genre on that. I think it's that's very much um, it, it's an open to interpretation. More that. Yeah. I don't think and there's no. I'm not saying I'm right in saying it's not a genre, but for me, I, I don't think it is a genre. Whereas I think it could be classified together as being a, a a genre of style yeah i mean i i i i tend to agree with that to be honest i mean it's it would be almost like if you had a documentary and like it was like talking like talking heads like you know it cuts to someone actually chatting at the screen and it's almost like saying i'm so sick of these documentaries where people just talk at you at the screen mm. constantly you know it's like but i mean i think I think the the problem like where people are saying oh, I'm sick of found footage is the fact that it's a it's it's a, it's a genre where a, where a style where unless you just ignore it completely you have to address the fact that stuff's being filmed constantly. Um, I mean unless you do ignore it completely, which to be honest I think maybe they should just start doing just like fuck it, you know like why like when you have a traditionally shot film you don't have any justification as to why it's taking a kind of like a, a god's eye view on the material yeah. you know it just it is what it is um but i mean also it's the fact that it's so closely associated to the horror genre and within i think the horror genre is the genre where people talking about it get the most kind of sniffy about things they're I'm not saying like all horror film uh, fans are like assholes or anything like that. Of course I'm not. But it's the one genre where people do tend to go off on things yeah. a bit more than others. They, they I are think. certainly the, the more touchy. I mean, my feelings are that I think that I don't, I don't think that the, the genre is done with. Like you're saying, you, you know, it would be like saying um, high school comedies. I'm so done with high school comedies. We should stop making them. I think what's happened is though, because let's let's be honest. Uh, like you were saying there, um, found footage is is so closely associated with um, with the horror genre, um, mm. and because the horror genre is one of the most produced genres out there, you know there are a lot of horror films come out. I'm not saying there's a lot of good horror films come out, but there are a lot of horror films come out every year, and it, it's an easy way to make a low budget film is to call it found footage. Um, because you can play around with editing and stuff like that. So not only is it easy for studios to, to churn these things out on almost a factory production line level, it's also easy for um, new filmmakers um, who necessarily don't have the budget to kind of um, to go, right, here, here we go, here's found footage, the Paranormal Activity films come into it, and obviously um, the one that sort of relaunched um, it all with, with the Blair Witch Project in 1999. Um, so I think that, that to a sense, maybe it's not that it, it, it's become a, a done thing and it, it, it's over, but it has become very oversaturated with a lot of bad um, found footage movies uh, out there. But there's also a lot of very, very good found footage movies. Uh, I mean, in the past sort of five, six years, we've had stuff like Wreck. is a brilliant found footage movie. Wreck 2 is another fantastic found footage movie um, I'm not a fan of paranormal activity but I accept the fact that the reason why I'm not a fan is it, it just didn't connect with me I don't think it's a bad yeah. film and I accept the fact that 
a lot of people did get a lot out of it. I thought last exorcism was a hell of a lot of fun. Um, but there have been some fucking really poor um, found footage films. Um, Romero um, gave us oh, God, Diary of the Dead, which, which was, oh. was fucking terrible. Um, Project X, um, I, I, I know you watched it and hated it. Uh, I started watching it and I turned off and I got precisely nine seconds into it before it's... I actually wanted to punch my screen. Like that, that, that's the thing. I mean, it, it just, it comes, I think it just comes down to the, is the film any good or not? You know, like it, it, I mean, in the end of the day, you know, I mean, yes, found footage that it has been oversaturated, but it will go again. You know, it's just like, it's like in the late nineties, it was a lot of like kids from TV shows starring in slashes, you know, like it it, was scream sort of burst out horror like that the horror has trends that that's the thing and it, it just so happens that the trend at this moment in time is a style of filmmaking not specifically a genre mm. you know but it and it will go away i mean i think the fact that you don't get it in many other genres is is telling i think that found footage there is just a kind of a, a visceral kind of like boost that you get with found footage that doesn't work really in a comedy genre i mean like the thing is i i I mean i project x is my worst film of the year i fucking despised project x but they justified the found footage for that plot perfectly acceptably well it just you know it's their film in a party all right then you know so whereas you know I don't think Anchorman 2 is going to be found footage because the story doesn't require it. No. You know, it, it's... And I, I, I don't think many genres will, will do that. I don't think Fast and the Furious 6 is going to be found footage. You know, it, it's... Even though it would be... But that, I mean, I was about to say it would be fun to see it at like a full-on action film kind of done found footage, but then Cloverfield. You know, it, it, it's a great example of kind of like found footage working. but with blockbuster production values. Yeah, it, it, it can work. It is an aesthetic that can work. Um, but it, it's... I think a lot of the time it, it's this straight-to-DVD mentality uh, sure. of studios of horror fans will buy it anyway. Horror fans will buy a film that they know they're not going to like to watch it, to know that, you know, to have it confirmed that they're not going to like it. And they will. You know, horror fans... You know, if you've got a... a a film geek who's a comedy fan, you know they'll they'll have an extensive DVD collection. Same if you've got one that's an action fan. But you know if you look at a horror fan's DVD collection, they're usually insane because they will go into places like ASDA and will go oh horror and will see like a wall of two pound DVDs at Halloween and spend twenty quid and buy ten knowing that nine of them are going to be an absolute piece of shit. It's, it's how films like Wrong Turn get to number five. You know, yeah. no one's sat there going, do you know what, I wish they'd make another Wrong Turn film. They're still going to fucking make them. You know, that that's why horrors become series. I think a, a, a very big recent um, found footage film um, that was quite celebrated, I know myself and, and you were a little bit meek on, was um, VHS. Um, which yeah, yeah, which yeah. took it and mixed horror with the anthology idea and um, found footage and has now thrown in um, 
a franchise idea as well. It's now going to be, from what I understand from reading, something that the there will be another VHS movie made by different guys with the, you know, but it will be also aided by the guys that they made it and this will become, it will happen every few years, they'll make them. Is apparently, I think, is an idea that's been muted. Yeah, yeah, which is, I, I, to be honest, I think it's a fantastic yeah, idea. Yeah, I'm, I, 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 that's great. I'm behind that because because I, I wasn't a big fan of VHS. I'm going to give it another go. Uh, I think maybe the fact that I was so looking forward to it and it, it it didn't hit all the beats that I wanted it to hit maybe affected me a little bit there. But then I was really, really drunk during VHS at Fright Fest. I like I got through a four pack of Budweiser during the film and I'd been drinking beforehand as well. Mm. So I'm I'm gonna give it another I'm gonna give it another shake as well. But it's I don't think it's a, like VHS, sorry, I'm just tangenting on VHS. It's not a film that seems to like people aren't really talking about it, I don't think. It seems to have kind of disappeared already. Do you think that's because people have seen it? I th- basically yes I, I you know i think like people have seen it and realized oh it's not that it's not the next great thing and they've just kind of moved on i mean like i say my, my thing's about I, I i don't actively go out there looking for found footage films but i don't avoid them um as well i think like i said before i, I think that the problem is is it, it's not that found footage is done for me as a genre um i think that it's it, it's just I'm more careful. Like I have, uh, there are a few out at the moment, or that are coming out, um, that the straight DVD ones that I'm, I'm not gonna watch. I can't be bothered. Um, yeah. Waste my time with them. Um, if somebody says to me, "Oh, I watched this and it was great," I'll go, "Oh, all right, I'll give it a go." It's like um, Rec Three. I enjoyed Rec Three, um, but for me, it lost something when it when it ridded itself of the found footage element. I would have preferred that to have continued being found footage. Um, yeah. I think once it once it kind of it took that hat off and went more generic, the story became more generic and it, it lost it. And from the moment, which is about sort of the third way through the film, when it stops being found footage and goes into standardised filmmaking, the only thing that kind of that got me through that was the fact that it was a hot chick in a wedding dress, kicking ass, uh, and that was it. But Which I mean, the, the thing is, though, yeah, no, well, that's fair enough. I mean, I think, I think if Wreck and Wreck Two had been filmed traditionally, I still think they would have been effective because of like the mood yeah, oh, yes, and so, the cinema, yeah. like and the lighting, you know, and and like the and the, 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 the you know just the atmosphere really. Whereas Wreck Three. I was also annoyed at the fact that the found footage was dropped, and just because like I thought it was quite clever at the start, you had like the, the like DVD menu and all that kind of stuff. I I I liked that, yeah. and they had like the guy with like the more professional equipment, and you know, so it was just like it can look better, you know, like it could be found footage, which is like professionally shot found footage as such, but then. Like when it went to um, kind of traditional filmmaking, I mean, it also like ramped up the comedy. That's 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 the thing that I I what didn't get on with with Rec Free. It was very 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 tired comedy in it as well. Where I don't want that in my Rec films. I go to the Rec films because they're intense as fuck and they leave me feeling exhausted. Yeah. Rec Free doesn't. It just it. Oh uh, yeah. But sorry. 
Yeah, I I I agree with that. It, it did become a little bit like they were filming some kind of madcap horror comedy towards the end uh, of yeah. three. Um, but yeah, so uh, what's your opinion? Are you are you done with found footage, or do you think that people people need to kind of uh, not get over it, but people need to kind of kind of just mellow out, man? Calm down. Yeah, just yeah. You know, if if there's a new found footage film out and you're done with found footage, here's an idea. Don't watch it. Watch something else. There are and all there are, the problem. The thing is, you are never going to see everything. Exactly, and also, and and if you're done with found footage, fair enough. Just don't tell us on Twitter constantly. Yeah. Yeah. So stop fucking bitching and moaning, dickheads. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Now. Um, Moving on um, to our next instalment of our George Peakers Mattis um, marathon, uh, we have yep. the wonderful, and I'm going to play you a little clip from the trailer for Cobra. Society is breeding a new kind of criminal. It's also breeding a new kind of cop. Meet Cobra. He does the job nobody wants. Did you use unnecessary deadly force? I used everything I had. Do you know you have an attitude problem? Yeah, but it's just a little one. You think you would recognize me if you saw him again? Yeah. The one that wants to kill you. Do what you have to do to get a lead on this maniac. And if I find him, do what you do best. Stallone is Cobra. The strong arm of the law. Right, that was Sylvester Stallone just being an ultimate badass um, in Cobra. Now, I, I, I have a little, a, a little nostalgic story to tell you about Cobra before we get into it. Um, yes. When I was a kid, um, I had a best friend like everyone does. Uh, my best friend was a guy called Mike. Um, my sister, who's a couple of years older than me, her best friend was a girl called Rachel. Mike and Rachel were brother and sister. And the reason why we were best friends is because my parents owned a business with their parents at the time. So we were on a holiday together and anything like that. Um, one Christmas, um, I was bought a Commodore 64, showing my age a little bit there. Um, so no, I wasn't bought a Commodore 64. I was bought a, a Spectrum, a Sinclair ZX Spectrum, and Mike was bought a Commodore 64. And the idea was that it was it was a present for both of us because I'd get to use it at his house, he'd get used mine at my house, and that was the idea. That was why we didn't get the same one, why we got different ones. Uh, it was a retarded idea because it meant we couldn't swap games. Um, <laughs> and if we were playing a game and we really liked it and we were staying at my house rather than his house, we couldn't bring it there. 
the, the other big mistake there was was the Commodore 64 was brilliant and the Spectrum was shit. So when I was at home, my I was like, brilliant, brilliant. I get to play Gary Lineker's Hot Shots, which was the worst football game ever invented. And I'm including <laughs> Peter Baisley's football in that. And he got to play cool games. One of the cool games he got to play was Cobra. Right? <laughs> and I am not joking. It is the hardest game I have ever played in my life. I even a few years ago, because I remembered this, I remembered um, this Cobra game. It had been so difficult. So a few years ago, I bought a Commodore 64. Um, and I bought Cobra for it. And th- that was the only reason. And I basically spent like about 40 quid on a Commodore 64 and Cobra just to play Cobra, just to see if it was as difficult as my brain remembered it. Thinking it's not going to be difficult because it, it was difficult back then because I was sort of eight, nine years old. Um, that's yeah. why it was difficult. I got it, played it, and no, it's just really fucking difficult. <laughs> so that was my first association with Cobra, was this really difficult Commodore 64 game. Um, but Cobra the film uh, is a 1986 film uh, directed by um, George Peaks Mattis. Um, it was made the year after um, he made uh, Rambo First Blood Part 2, which we covered. Uh, and stars Sylvester Stallone and Bridget Nielsen. And also, as well, it stars Brian Thompson and Art LaFleur. Um, it is a very, very strange movie. Um and apparently, according to Wikipedia, let's look at Wikipedia, apparently Stallone originally wrote it... Uh, the screenplay was actually originally meant to be Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, I yeah. I didn't know that about um, Yeah, no, yeah, apparently... So somebody was saying that on Twitter yesterday as well, and it's on the IMDb trivia, that, yeah, he was like originally going to do Beverly Hills Cop, and then he kind of retooled... When he kind of dropped out of that, he retooled it and did this instead. And... I that's mental. It I I it, it just what what the fuck? Yeah, because I mean this is a just bizarre film. It really is. It 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 it, it contains a cult um, that you never actually know what they're doing or what they're against or anything. They they're just there and they they keep banging axes together, but it's never explained why. <laughs> And they're incredibly far-reaching as well. Like, they've infiltrated the police. But all you see them doing is basically murdering blonde women in cars. Yeah, and and also, uh, as as well, there there are just... This, this, essentially, I I think this is is an exploitation film. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, But there are just some really random sequences. There is... I mean, this is, you know, this is Bridget Nielsen um, and Smith Sloan when they, um, when they, you know, they, 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 their relationship was starting, and you can tell that there is a, there's a genuine affection between the two of them. The way they look at each other, the way they talk to each other, um, they do look like two people who enjoyed being in each other's company, and and you were yeah. kind of a little bit in love with each other, and you can def, I, I definitely got that feeling across. It might be my Stallone-based romanticism, but I definitely got that. But then you've got this really strange scene in the film where, for no reason, 
Bridget Nielsen is doing a photo shoot with robots. And 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 the best thing about that as well is, is yeah, and and before that you've got like this music playing, and then like it like cuts with the beat to just shots of these robots before it's established that she's doing a Photoshop with them, a photo shoot with them. So like for a solid minute, it just keeps on cutting to these like still images of yeah, robots, it, it, and you've got no idea why. It's amazing. You've got uh, Marion uh, Marion Cobra Cabretti, uh, Stallone's character, going round with his partner sort of to all these really sleazy places. That's right. And robots. Yeah. And then you think, what's with the fucking robots? Then all of a sudden, Bridget Nielsen arrives dressed in different outfits, posing with the robots. And he went, oh, that's why. No, wait a minute. What? That's it. It's The film is basically trying to be completely hip and up to date. It's so 80s, it is untrue. Yeah, but but became dated about five minutes after it came yeah, out. Very much. Like, like just like the the cutting and things like that. And the thing is, that doesn't feel like Cosmatos to me. That feels like Stallone, like saying, "Oh, I want this to be. I want us to be here with one. Why is it cool? Yeah, it's just like with with Rambo and Rocky. He'd established characters who were actually in a, in their own way quite sweet and good natured, you know. Whereas with Cobra, he wanted to do his cool badass up to date action franchise. Yeah, I think also as well. I mean, you've got there's a great scene after that little montage scene, everything like that, where the you you have the generic douchebag photographer who basically says to Bridget Nielsen that she should sleep with him to further her career. But doesn't, doesn't see it, but but she kind of looks and thinks, hmm, maybe I should. It's like, no, you you shouldn't sleep with me because you want to. You should do it to further your career. And it's like, and he's like, look, I'm just trying to help and, you yeah, out. It's, it's like, <laughs> it's, I, I, you should prostitute yourself to me because you know, I'm I'm the guy. I'll I'll get you to move places, baby. But it's not even done in a sleazy way. It's done like it's just something that happens. Yeah, but yeah. Also, it, 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 also as well, you've got what I think could be one of the greatest scenes in cinema history, which is when um, when um, Cobra gets back to his apartment, opens the fridge, takes out a carton of eggs and a pizza box, <laughs> sits down, opens the pizza box, picks up uh, just one slice of pizza, then cuts off the nose with some scissors to create a mini slice of pizza, which he then eats like a normal slice of pizza, opens his carton of eggs to find that it's not eggs, no, it's his gun cleaning equipment. And it's at that moment, oh, and then he puts on the TV, and, and there's something really random on the TV as well. It's a Toys R Us ad. It's a Toys R Us advert. And, it's like, and the film stops. Yeah. For about thirty seconds, while this Toys R Us advert plays, while Stallone's just cleaning his gun, yeah, it's incredible. It, there is so much product placement in this film. You know, in the uh, the first shootout bit, it's Pepsi. You know, oh, you yeah, can't yeah. fail to notice that this film had Pepsi's money. But then it's like later on in the film, it's like it's like this, the, the producers went to Pepsi and went, "Yeah, we need a little bit more money, Pepsi." And they went, "No, we've given you enough." But all right, fine, fuck you then, Coke. Do you want to get in on this shit? Yeah. And then it becomes Coca-Cola. And it... it I, I don't know whether... I think Cosmatos maybe directed, like, 
a third of this film. Stallone directed the other third, another third, and then whichever um, company were giving him the most money at the time directed the other third. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's that's the thing. I mean, it it it's it's bizarre that this is from the same filmmaking duo who did Rambo: First Blood Part Two because it feels so different. But I mean, I will say the action direction is fantastic. You know, Cosmatos shoots the action sequences really well. There's a there's a car chase about what halfway through the film, yeah. which is amazing, and it's also just one of those great 80s stereotypes of, like, you shoot a car a couple of times and then it just blows up. You know, there's 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 one car that literally just blows up and turns into a skeleton of itself in about <laughs> two seconds. And, I mean, that like, little badass moves as well, like um, Cobra in his car. He does, like, a handbrake turn, fires at a car, like, behind him, and then, and then just, like, starts driving off again and starts firing at the one in front. I mean, it's... There's an awful lot of badass moments that Cosmatos puts into this, but then it's just built like surrounding it is this plot that is like part action film, part comedy, part noir, part horror. There's a, yeah, there's a little bit of horror and, and noir, well. yeah. But uh, as well, I mean, we both watched the, the film, uh, the documentary Eurocrime, uh, which yeah. dealt with the seventies um, um, Italian cop movies. This felt like one of those it, it, at points. It feels like that. It's all these different things thrown into one to create what is a, a truly bizarre yet brilliantly entertaining movie. I mean, this is under 90 minutes long and was one of the highest grossing movies of its year. You know, it, it, it made a lot of money, especially for an R-rated movie. Um, mm. But it, it just create, it just has some of the, the gr- these great lines like... Um, there's a bit towards the end where um, Cobra's uh, captain says, you know, we owe, you, we owe you a debt. If there's anything we can do to you, you know, if you want to get off the zombie squad or anything like that, you just give us a shout. And then he goes, well, I could do with a new car. And they just go, no, it's not in the budget. And it's, it's him going, and he kind of, he shrugs as if to say, yeah, you'll do anything for me unless I ask for it, in which case you won't. And it, yeah. it's just, he's achingly cool in it with the, the, the mirrored sunglasses and the, you know, just the couldn't give a shit attitude. And, but he's not, he's not a douchebag. You know, he, he, he just, he's just a guy who wants to get things done and, you know, wants to, he works outside of the law. It's just, it's a great movie. It, it's, it couldn't be made now and it couldn't have been made in the 90s. It could only have been made in 70s Italy or... 80s America. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it, it yeah, no, I mean that that that's the thing. It's just such an odd idiosyncratic little beast. It it just it it just it is what it is. And I, I mean, in a way I'm glad they didn't do a sequel because it's I I I suppose it kind of sounds like hyperbole to say it's kind of like lightning in a bottle, but I just I don't think they would have been able to get this combination of just odd elements that somehow works more than it should you know i they wouldn't have been able to replicate that i don't no, think I mean, if, if you look at it um in in like an 18 month period stallone did rambo first blood part two rocky four and cobra 
were all released in an 18-month period. Yeah, that's that's I mean, fucked that's, up. That's astonishing. Not even I don't think it was 18 months. No, it was 18 months it was. Uh, and that's astonishing that, that you can make three films as different as they were, and all of them were massive hits. You know, it's it's easy to forget just how big a star Stallone was, and as you know, yeah. hopefully become again. Um, and then of course he made um, after that over the top, which very few people love, but I do. <laughs> um, but yeah, Cobra. It's it's if you've not seen it, you, you should definitely check it out. Um, I think it, it's it, in the way that we're covering these films as George P. Cosmatis films. I think it, it's probably going to be one of the least Cosmaticy films we're going to cover. Yeah. But in the same way, it's going to be one of the the more one of the ones where I think they thought that he could do a job on it, and he very much did do a job on it. But it, 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 Cobra, I think, is very much it's it, it's becoming a bit of a cult film now, um, and a proper cult film, not a film that was made to be a cult film, a film that yeah, over yeah. over time, you know, you know this, this film's you know twenty odd years old, but over time it started to to generate this cult reputation. It's starting to be referenced now in a lot of modern comedies a lot of the time. Um, for instance, mm. there's a poster in Mark Wahlberg's apartment in um, The Other Guys. There's a Cobra poster in his apartment. Oh, is that really? Yeah. Nice. Uh, which I noticed and thought, you know what, that, that, that actually makes perfect sense yeah. for that character, that he'd have a Cobra poster up in his apartment. Um, and there was another comedy film recently that I saw where they they, where they, they referenced Cobra, um, and it, it was you know it, it made me kind of smile because this film, as a film and as um, as that weird kind of computery geeky part of my life, um, it kind of resonates. And let's be honest, it, it, it's a really fucking cool poster, um, but also as well. Um, I mean, I, I'd recommend this to, to you. You've got to um, be able to take. You've got to be able to view films as even a bad film can be enjoyable to enjoy Cobra. Yeah, that's you, fair. You definitely, you've definitely got to have that mentality to get something out of it. Yeah, it, it just. I yeah, I don't, it, it, It's just on a kind of like a if you were writing a serious review kind of um, like p- approach of it, it's, it's not something you could, you could really recommend. It's just, it's, um, I don't know. It, it, I, think, I, I don't, I don't know with Cobra. It's just so odd. It, it, it's so you'll odd. Either, you'll either, you'll either watch it and it'll, it'll, it'll hit the beach with you and you'll come away going, that was terrible, but my God, I had fun with it. Or you'll come away yeah. going, that was shit. Why have you told me to watch that? Um, and if you, if you do come away and say, that was shit, why have you told me to watch that? Sorry, but we had to take that chance. Yeah. Um, and so, just quickly, before we move away from our, our George Pekers, Madison, and answer the couple of questions that we've had um, into the show, um, I, we missed something last week on Rambo oh, First Blood Part 2. And I only remembered it after we'd finished recording. We missed something that we should have discussed. There's a, there's a scene in it, and it is mentioned a couple of times. There's a scene in it where they're on the, the boat, 
and they're doing the Apocalypse Now-esque boat ride. Um, and she turns to him and says, why have you been sent on this mission? And Rambo's response is, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm expendable. Yes! Yeah! And then it's mentioned later on, just before she's shot, she says, Rambo, you're, you're not expendable. And I'm sorry, that, that, that moment, after he's filmed that scene, it must have been expendable. Expendable. <laughs> yeah. What if a group <laughs> Let me of guys like Rambo that, that were considered expendable and they were sent to do these crazy missions and they were, they were almost like mercenaries, but they weren't quite... They, sorry, that must have been the moment Stallone <laughs> thought of the Expendables. It can't just be coincidence. It can't be that years later he made a film called The Expendables about those people. It had to have been at that moment. Whether or not it was that when he started writing Rambo, he went back and watched the first three Rambo films and he went oh god that wait a minute <laughs> I don't believe it I think that that moment George Pekus Mattis went cut brilliant yeah great and he went fucking hell idea yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know wanted to make it but just never quite got round to, to formulating it but thank god he did <laughs> but well We've, we we have a, not many questions. I think uh, it, it's because we got this out a little bit late. Um, but we had one uh, from. I'm going to go to our to our Twitter feed. Uh, did you see we have a Twitter header on our Twitter feed? We had a Twitter we have a header now. You know you're not, you're not on Twitter. We have your picture. Yeah. Um, we we have a header on it now. Have you not seen it? Oh. Oh. Right. Let me just look at... Here, here we go, audience. You're going to get to hear uh, Mr. Loring see our, our, our Twitter app header. Um, bear with me. Oh, twice! <laughs> oh, that's good stuff. <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah, no, I approve, but good Guys, work. if you've not seen our Twitter head, go and see it. Um, right, first question is from uh, Glenn T. Chapman, uh, which is, uh, Cobra clearly has the best tagline of all time, which others run close. Uh, of course, Cobra's tagline is, crime is a disease, meet the cure. Um, my one, easy, easy. Uh, when I first saw this on a bus shelter, I... Uh, seriously, that head is blowing my mind. Just the fucking um, the orangutan to his left is amazing. <laughs> Sorry, um, fucking, I've never noticed that in that film before. Um, yeah, like this just this just made me laugh for uh, like basically hours to myself. The tagline for from Paris with love: um, two cops, one city, no merci. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful. That it's it's good and it fits the tone of what is, in my opinion, a very underrated action film, uh, very well. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm not gonna not gonna disagree with that one. Um, my my favorite is is the the Cobra one, to be honest. Um, I think I think it's just I, I don't think you can do better than that, to be honest. Um, 
I'm trying to think of, of, of another one. I actually I wrote a movie taglines round for my quiz a couple of years ago, and I'm trying to find it. Um, no, I, 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 you might have to come back to me on this one. Um, so, but we've got, we, we do have another question um, from again from Glenn T. Chapman actually. Uh, 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 what's Stallone's most underrated action movie? Okay, let's go on the IMDb. Uh, I can throw a few out here while you're there, because I, I, I can throw out loads on this. If we're talking just pure action movies, um, I would throw out there Lock Up. I haven't seen Lock Up. Uh, Lock Up is brilliant. Um, Lock Up is... I, I'll give you a brief, quick rundown of Lock Up. Um, okay. He, he plays a mechanic um, who he's put into prison by a warden um, played by Donald Sutherland who has a problem with him. I'm not going to say what the problem is, but he doesn't like him. Uh, and so puts him in a prison and basically tries to have him killed in the prison. Um, it also has a great performance by Tom Sizemore back when he was good. Uh, and it, it just It's a great film. I, I thoroughly, thoroughly recommend it. But I'll also throw out Tango and Cash is brilliant. Um, I know everyone else in the world hates it, but I adore the specialist. Um, and as well, one that, that, that kind of gets forgotten about is Daylight, um, which was Daylight Solid, um, a mid '90s movie, which also contained um, Viggo Mortensen. Yeah, yeah, no, Daylight is good. Actually, we were talking about that at work the other day, weren't we? Enough. Um, but no, I, to be honest with you, I, I would have said Tango and Cash. Um, it like Tango and Cash is just an awful, awful lot of fun, and I wish that became a franchise. That would have been fantastic. Yeah, it's it's. I watched Tango and Cash again the other day because I bought a, a Stallone box set, um, and it, it's just, it's just a brilliant, brilliant, fun film. It, it's it's two guys who were just having a lot of fun with the film, um, mm. so I, I I couldn't speak highly enough of that film. Um, what else? We we did have another question from somebody else uh, that came in earlier today. Um, not even film related, but um, from uh, Edge Loading. Why do you press the buttons harder on a remote control when we know the batteries are flat? Um, because I have the answer, damn it. Because you don't know whether the bat the battery's flat or whether it's just not connected. Like it's just not responding for some reason. I do that on my fucking TV all the time. I, I think it's because we, we we don't actually know how remotes work and they confuse us. Uh, and so we, we just we, we we become very primal and kind of confused and think right, if if I press down as hard as possible, it, it will work. Because if not, I'm either going to have to do that thing where I take the back of the battery back off and roll them across. That buys you a yeah, couple of days. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then there's the switching the batteries round. That buys you another yep. couple of days, um, and you know then you have to come up with the awful realization that at some point you might have to change the battery. Terrifying. Yeah. Um, so uh, that, that that nicely wraps up uh, episode two of uh, Dude and the Monkey. Uh, can you tell the people how they can get in touch with us? I can indeed. Uh, you can tweet us at dude and a monkey. That's all one word and, and spell A and D. You can email us at dude and a monkey at gmail.com. And that's probably about it, actually. Yeah, it is. Um, 
Also, if you could leave us reviews on iTunes, if you like us, that'd be great. If you don't like us, don't, because negative reviews put us down the list. Wait till we've got quite a few positive ones, then you can tell us how shit we are. And then you can shit on us, yeah. And once again, thanks for listening. If you have listened, if you haven't, then you will hear me saying thanks. So it's not going to be... We no idea what we're covering next week. Um, I'm guessing our next issue of our George Pika's Mattis Marathon is going to be Leviathan, would I be right? Yeah, I think that? so, Leviathan. Yes, we're up to Leviathan, which which I'm sure everyone's going to be excited about, because I because it's fucking beautiful. And it's also on US Netflix, It is also folks, on US Netflix. So... And you know what? I watched it a couple of months, a couple of weeks ago, and I'm going to watch it again. Um, right, so I've never seen it. I'm looking it, forward it, to it. It's brilliant, but we'll talk about that next, next week. Um, we don't know what our main review is uh, next week, so um, keep an eye on Twitter feed and we'll announce it then. Uh, if you have any questions you want to ask us, just tweet us throughout the week uh, and we'll save them up for the cast. So, thank you very much. Nice one, folks. Nice one, Mark. Cheers.